This Rhythm and News podcast is brought to you by the Port of Seattle. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Earlier this week, Seattle Mayor Jenny Jerkins sent recommendations from the Equitable Communities Initiatives Task Force on how to invest $30 million into minority communities. And when they talk about this issue is Donna Moody, a member of the task force. Good morning, Donna. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's good to have you on. Uh, Donna, Mayor Durkin has allocated $100 million from the, city's in, uh, from the city to invest in minority communities that have been affected by historic disparities. And you, along with other members of the task force, were tasked with how to invest $30 million of those dollars. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. Now, Donna, some people may see this number of $30 million and $100 million, expect to see major changes right away, but uh, reality is that you just can't uh, turn on a switch and say things will be much better tomorrow than they were today because you threw uh, some money at it. Uh, with that being said, you know, what was the overriding objective of the task force as it relates to how and why you all decided to invest the monies in the ways that you did? Well, I think you raise a good point by addressing the fact that $30 million is not going to fix um, decades and actually centuries of discrimination, disparity, um, inequities in how money has been distributed in the communities. But I also think if we're going to do this, if we're going to make a change, we have to start somewhere. And what better way to start than with $30 million invested into improving um, the of opportunities for small business owners, which affects not just uh, minority communities, but the city at large, because um, a city thrives if it has diverse small businesses. It also affects the health and well-being of uh, minority communities. And by doing that, we're improving the quality of medical care, which is always going to be pushed forward, the opportunity and access to fresh and healthy food, and just the idea of changing the way people think about how they nourish themselves, how they take care of themselves, how they seek help for both emotional and medical issues. And then if you look at education, that's always going to have a lasting effect and impact on communities. So better educated um, youth are going to enter into a world much more prepared to take things on and to thrive and to give back to their communities. And then the last pillar, you look at housing, and we all know, and generational wealth isn't just addressed through housing, but we all know that owning property and owning your home is a step towards having generational wealth, which we can pass on to others in our community. So even though these, you know, this $30 million might not like solve an entire 
history of issues, I, I definitely think it's a good step, and it's also a good model to be replicated. I think with success, this is something that we'd like to see played forward year after year after year. Right. And Donna, let's talk a little about some of the, the specific pillars, um, and you okay. kind of uh, talked about those briefly, but let's, let's start with uh, small business support, because... Um, you know, one of the building blocks of a, of a community from a number of ways. Number one, from just uh, having a, a visible presence. Number two, to having um, access to um, jobs and uh, just some building of generational wealth, as you talked about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it comes through small businesses. And unfortunately, uh, in the city of Seattle, um, particularly as it relates to, to Afri- the African-American community, I mean, we can talk about minorities as a whole, but talking specifically about African-American communities uh, in the city of Seattle, we used to have a, a, a pretty vibrant uh, African-American business community, which, um, you know, has been dissipated over the years. And so when, when you talk about the, the recommendations, and I, know, I, I believe you're a small business owner yourself, so as you talk about these uh, recommendations and the investments uh, into the small business community, you know, how do you see uh, these investments specifically impacting uh, the business communities that have kind of been uh, devastated over the years, you know, including the African-American community, uh, including, uh, you know, some of the different uh, Asian ethnicities. When you when you start breaking it down, some, mm-hmm. you know, some had mm-hmm. more vibrant business districts or communities than they have now. And so uh, how do you see these investments really trying to uh, level the playing field and, and change those uh, demographics as they've been uh, decreasing over the last, you know, 20 to 30 years at least. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris, I, I think what you're talking about is the effects of displacement and gentrification um, and the impact that's had on a lot of small businesses. And I think in addition to that, we also have um, businesses that are owned by BIPOC or minority communities that are constantly asked to do more to get um, access to credit, to get access to funding, to get access to grants. There's applications that are difficult to fill out. There are um, kind of a lack of communication to certain communities that these applications or possibilities, opportunities are even existing. So um, one of the things we wanted to do with the small business pillar is have part of the um, funds, and we took one quarter, so $7.5 million, um, 2.5 million of that is focused on technical assistance. So not just supporting um, people once they got the money, but helping people to access the money. And we wanted to break that into loans that had very low interest, grants, um, which of course are money to help support a business without having to be burdened by paying it back. And then maybe some loans that were forgivable. So perhaps by pursuing greater technical assistance, you could get your loan relieved or maybe partially relieved. And what we wanted to do is have the technical assistance look like the people that it was serving or to be allies of the people that they're serving. So not to have someone who was kind of looking down on you or taking away your dignity through the application process, but to have people that supported you, maybe even seek you out to help you get funding. And I have to say, this is the pillar that I talked the best about not only being a small business owner, but also the pillar that I worked on with some really intelligent business-supportive people. Mm. 
Okay. And then, because I, I, I did see the technical assistance, so they talked about some assistance mm-hmm. as it relates to, um, you know, financial health, digital tools, construction yeah. support. Yeah. If, if we could talk briefly about uh, the digital tools aspect of that, because uh, I, moving forward, that's going to be a very important aspect of businesses, even if you were, uh, even if you were or are a, a small mom-and-pop operation that was just used to kind of opening up and being in the neighborhood and doing things. The, the fact remains that if you don't have the proper knowledge and, and integration uh, of digital tools into your business, um, you might get lost in the shuffle pretty quick. I agree with you wholeheartedly uh-huh. and also um, want to point out that a lot of the digital tools that we have available today are things that save time and also kind of keep better records. So a lot of times it's making people familiar with what's available and showing them how to use it. And also, you know, being supportive, people will get solicited quite a bit for all these different kinds of technology. So to have maybe some technical support, technical assistance, where you can ask, you know, what what do you think is best for us to use? Or can you explain, you know, this this 40-page packet of information, can you break it down to tell me what's the best POS system, what's the best, you know, record keeper, timekeeper, you know, the, the best HR um, technology to use. So I, I think it's really important to kind of offer um, not just the support of the information, but maybe how to use it, how to weed through a lot of uh, solicitations, and to have someone who's supporting you kind of walk with you through the journey of figuring out how you want to maybe bring your business into a more technologically supported uh, business, but also not lose the personal touch. Right. Um, Donna, the other pillars, yes. one of the, well, the, the other pillars you have, one of which um, is uh, housing and building generational wealth. And the reason why I skipped to that is because yes. I think that I had the largest investment of $8.8 million dollars. Uh, can you kind of talk yes. about, um, you know, in general, what that looks like? Because, again, those are major issues uh, that it relates specifically to our community. When you talk about housing, of course, um, you know, more uh, and mo- more people are having to move further out and outside the city. A lot of people, uh, because of the way the housing market is, are finding it mm-hmm. um, even harder to be able to um, to purchase a home these days. And then when you talk about building generational wealth, you know, Unfortunately, there, there's too many people, and, and when I say too many people, if there's more than one person, if there's more than ten people, this to me, that's too many people. But there's too many people when you right. talk about building generational wealth who are, pay, are going paycheck to almost paycheck who are saying building generational right. wealth, what is that? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really hear you there because I think one of the things that we see is um, there's not really opportunities for people that are not incredibly wealthy in this city to buy and own homes. And even if it's owning a condo or, you know, a townhouse, it's, it's becoming just basically unapproachable. So one of the things we wanted to do is kind of take that um, rent-to-own uh you know, like template, which which also doesn't really work because it's a really awkward high entry. But we wanted to use that idea and make it more approachable. So get people through a program. And once again, we want to introduce the technical assistance. So we want to invite people to 
rent to own, but also um, be educated on how to be a good homeowner so that they're not entering into something that they're going to be losing, you know, within a year or two years. But they're on a path to not just um, having their rent turn into ownership, but learning a little bit about how to build, how to take care of repairs, how to take care of finances so that you can kind of plan for a rainy day, how to, um, you know, be on the lookout for things that might go wrong in your home that will need repair, and also just how to take that home and have that become your uh, kind of the, the base, the foundation of your generational wealth. So that was really important to us. And, of course, there's going to be other kinds of housing that we're addressing too. But for us, it was really important to address the loss of um, communities by this displacement that we've seen basically rapidly, like, burning through our entire city. Right. And, uh, Donna, the other pillars... Um we probably can get into more detail on that maybe at a later point in time, but I think they're pretty uh, straightforward. Absolutely. When you talk about, um, you know, education and educational opportunities, and you talk about positive, healthy outcomes, you know, these are some uh, areas that people have been talking about for years and trying to build upon, and I think it's, uh, right. you know, that the, the city of Seattle and King County has been um, pretty consistent with their investments in these two areas. But um, the mayor has indicated that she will allocate an additional $100 million dollars uh, of next year's budget to, uh, again, go towards these same uh, type of issues uh, as it relates to uh, the city's investment. Uh, w- with that mm-hmm. being said, um, I guess, were you guys aware of this during the process of which you guys were trying to figure out how to allocate these $30 million? Also, do you expect the mayor, if approved by the city council, to extend these funds towards the recommendation, recommendations uh, that you guys have made for a second year? You know, one thing that we all focused on when we were um, creating these um, suggestions, recommendations, was we really focused and we did a lot of research. We we really spent a lot of time gathering data and um, kind of speaking to what, what we saw as holes in how funds are often distributed. And we wanted to make something that looked like a model that the city would want to replicate. We wanted to make something that was kind of like, uh, you know, crack-proof uh, with city council, with the mayor, and we wanted to make something where the communities would see um, something that was helping to build richer communities and not look at it as another program that um, only gets a few people, doesn't really make a change. We, we wanted to uh, create an investment profile that uh, that people would want to keep recreating to keep building these communities. Like you said at the beginning of this conversation, you know, how could $30 million fix decades of damage and disparity? Well, it can't, but if we keep reinvesting year after year, um, there's a possibility that this change can become bigger, more visible, and something that we can rely on to make change in our communities. Right. And, and Donna, before I let you go, I guess my my last question Mm -hmm. is one of more stewardship uh, because uh, obviously you guys put forth these recommendations under uh, Mayor Durkin, um, who is not seeking re-election. So there will be a new administration in place uh, at this Mm -hmm. time next year. Um, You know, is the, are are you guys going to be involved? uh, And I'm talking about the task force now. Are you going to be involved with the board uh, with, with oversight 
and implementation? Um, and if not, um, are you very confident um, that these, because you guys are just involved with right now with the, um, yeah. with the plan, but it's up to the city to execute. So I, I guess are you guys uh, totally confident uh, with the city and the different city officials that they would be able to actually execute your plan in a way that yeah. you guys had envisioned? You know, one great thing is we have been talking to council members. We presented to the mayor and the administration, and we've been working with a lot of people from city departments so that, you know, I, I, as I said, I can speak best to business, but we came up with this great plan. We talked to Ken Takahashi from OED, and he looked at our plan. He was like, this is great, but let's try to make it um, kind of bulletproof so that it's not going to, you know, it's not going to lose its legs as it works through the process. So he worked with us on the legal aspects of how we could get that money out. When we were talking to him about, um, you know, just that it was really important to us to have the technical assistance look like us. And right away he was like, well, you know, I, this is what I see happening with those areas of people who are, you know, giving out the money. And, and we said, how can we, you know, hold their feet to the fire? How can we make them start hiring consultants that look like us, we figured out a way. It was working with departments, which is going to roll into this being executed properly, that we were able to kind of have a sense of um, our commitments being actualized. And then also, you know, we've been going to these meetings regularly. We've invested a lot of time. There's a steering committee. There were other little subcommittees that worked on a lot of um, issues repeatedly. And as we did that, our sense of commitment got stronger and stronger and kept growing. So do we think it's over right now because we are submitting to council? You know, to us, no. We think the work is just beginning. And many of us have asked to stay involved, stay committed, oversee whatever we can with the RFP process and to be a part of, you know, whatever the the need is. I look at being on a task force as being asked to serve um, our city and our community, and I don't think our service is over. I think it's really just beginning. We have a really tight-knit group of people working together. We all have a lot of admiration and respect for each other, and I think we enjoy also each other's company. So we're, we're really looking forward to continuing the work that we started. All right. Well, Don, I want to thank you for joining us on today's show. Uh, thank you for, on behalf of so many people who might not know who you are, but will feel uh, your presence and influence in these recommendations, how some of this money is going to be allocated. So just thank you on behalf of people for just your willingness to serve on this uh, task force. You know, I appreciate just your having interest in what we were doing and just taking a few minutes out of your busy day to talk to us and learn more about what ECI has done. All right. Have a great weekend and enjoy the rest of the summer as well.